Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. Like that, you wanna try that? It's like a flashback. So shake your ass back. I got the boss. Hello, and welcome back to the Soundtrack to a Life. My name is Chris because that's who hosts this show. With me today is Jojo. Hey, Hello. Jojo. Hello. Tell them about yourself. I'm 25. Uh, single, sort of ready to mingle. Do I do it the ASL package? <laughs> do it. Do whatever you want to say. It the age, sex, and location. So. <laughs> Age, 25, sex, male, location, Calgary. Crazy how that worked out, hey Chris? Checks out. And Jojo and I are here today talking about Gorillaz's 2001 self-titled debut album, Gorillaz. Certain creators earn your loyalty. They develop a goodwill with you over time that allows them to move from project to project, to stretch out and explore every aspect of their unique creative vision, safe in the knowledge that Whatever they may take on, you will extend them the benefit of the doubt when it's complete, because they've earned that. These are the artists who, knowing their true fans will come through for them, can take the biggest risks. The ones who can succeed or fail in larger, more ambitious ways than their more modest contemporaries could ever dream of. Not every artist can pull this off, nor should every artist try. This is for your Johnny Mars, your David Bowies, your Radioheads, or Christopher Nolans. It requires a very specific sort of creative energy, a restlessness with regard to your creative process that few performers possess. But for those who do, it's an incredibly rewarding position from which to approach the creation of art, for none more so than Damon Albarn. The lead singer of Blur teaming up with an indie cartoonist to release music from a fictional hip-hop group featuring guest vocals from people who, it seemed, Damon just wanted an excuse to meet, should not have worked by any objective measure. This record should have been an act of hubris from which nobody's career emerged unscathed, a train wreck of overambition derailing everyone who touched it. Instead, it sold 7 million copies around the world, spat out hit after hit, and made the group into fully fictitious international celebrities. And the record does deserve that, I think. It's the rare beast that functions both as something to dance to and as chill-out music. The premise is contrived, but never comes off as fakey. The band is a literal cartoon, but they sound very authentic. There is a joy here, a free-spiritedness that I find infectious, irresistible. And Damon Albarn, whether he's here or with Blur, or the good, the bad, and the queen, or making Mali music, brings in the tunes. This record is hooky as hell. Is Gorilla's debut their best record? I honestly couldn't say. But it's the most surprising, because it's the one I didn't see coming. By the time they released Demon Days four years after this, I was intimately familiar with how great Gorillaz was. But here they came completely out of left field. A musician I'd loved for ten years, and a cartoonist I'd loved for six, coming together to create something much greater than the sum of its parts, and then completely blindsiding the pop world with it. This is what you can do when you follow the whims of your own inscrutable muse. This is what Damon does better than any other performer in pop, and I love him for that. I will check out literally anything the man does, probably until the end of either my life or his, because he's earned that goodwill with me. He's repaid it a dozen times over. 
and Gorillaz by the band of the same name is only one example among many of how. But even if it's only one example among many, it's a hell of a fun one. So Jojo, you'd never heard Gorilla's self-titled debut, and now you have. Tell me, what did you think? Right off the hop, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like a rainy day album. Like, it's you kept it in the back pocket, safe from prying eyes, and you take it out. It's not a great day outside, but like, it's kind of raining, but it's not like a thunderstorm. And you take that out and you just put that on the CD player and you're just like, yes, this is that kind of moment. One of those things for me, it's just personally, I don't find myself bummed when it rains. I'm just like, meh. You're not like over the moon happy. You're just in a constant state of smug. Yeah, it's weather that makes you want to think. You want to stare out your window with a cup of coffee. Which I do like almost every day. And watch it all come down. This would be a good soundtrack to that, actually. Yeah, I would buy that. Going right into it, the first track, I had to like listen to this track like the whole thing three times over. One time I was actually like in the middle of like a thunderstorm. So I was watching, I'm listening to Rehash in the middle of a thunderstorm. Even though there's one thing I particularly don't like in music in a general sense, I don't like the fact that they repeat lines over and over and over again. It's been a weird knack for me. I've never enjoyed it. I've never had a pleasure listening to the same five to six words over and over again. Yeah, that's a trope in pop music today that's tough to get on board with. Like, it feels really... Like, I get it. It's easy to sing along the first time that you hear a song. They took it to an extreme here. They t- repeat that's... Was it, like, the money of stuff or something? Yeah, yeah. They, how many times did they repeat that? Like, oh, my God, I can't even... I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. It starts becoming singable. When you repeat a word enough times and it eventually loses all meaning? Yeah. I don't know if it's intentional. And my gosh, and if it wasn't inten- total intention, it did its job really damn well. Because it started out, and you're like, yeah, the money is stuff. The money is stuff. The money is stuff. And then all of a sudden, by the end of it, you're just like, okay, this is like a bunch of jargon I don't even care about anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. Because in addition to building an album, they're trying to build a mythology around the fictional band. Right. That they put together. Like, every album has a narrative and a through line. And on their debut, they're pop kids and just the worst. (laughs) So that's where that comes from. Sometimes. Yeah. But I love love the song musically. Like, the opening beats of Rehash, among the all-time great album opening moments of all time. Like, it just is so confident. It crashes in, ready to go. It's it's like the Kool-Aid Man. It goes right through a wall, and you're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those moments that make you go... Wow, these guys are really coming hard for their debut. Wait, this dude's already been making music for a decade. <laughs> right. <laughs> Before I continue on, I want to jump back to the actual album cover, because this is like one of those things for me. This is me just overanalyzing things, but I noticed that Jeep was spelt incorrectly. Yep. <laughs> J- instead of a J-E-E-P, like the Jeep brand, it's G-E-E-P, and I see why. I get the joke there, because it starts with the name Gorillaz. Yeah, that's a fun cover. And I feel like it was one of those original army cards, too, right? Uh, yeah, I believe it was military. But it's not, it doesn't have the Jeep brand, does it? I'm not sure. It is worth noting that Jamie Hewlett is a pretty semi-subversive indie cartoonist. Part of it might have just been him fucking with the format a little bit. I guess. Like, it doesn't have to be exactly branded, because... None of the members of this band look like real human beings either. Yeah, no, true. That's, I think that's one of the things I really loved about this band. And like, I've heard this band before. Yeah, everybody's heard Gorillaz at least once. Yeah. And like, surprise, do you know what surprisingly the thing is? And I'm, this is going to go completely against what you said right at the start. 
I've heard one of the tracks on here before. Oh, which one? Uh, Clint Eastwood. That does not surprise me. <laughs> Clint Eastwood was everywhere when this record came out. Yeah, um, it, it was like one of the, it's one of the songs that is so infectious. Yeah, much music was still playing music videos. Oh right! At the time of this record's release. Oh man! Uh, and it That's felt a throwback. Yeah, it felt like they were playing Clint Eastwood every like twenty minutes or something. Until nowadays, and not playing a song every twenty minutes and nearly gets you killed. Yeah, and just it's just a fun idea. Like, what was the idea behind Clint Eastwood? Because I ne- I never got it. Well, the track is built around a sample from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, oh. the Clint Eastwood movie. So that's the reference to, oh, Yeah, okay. yeah, that's where the title That never from. got to me. Never put the two and two together, because I'm like, Clint Eastwood. And it's like, the title, the title of the name, Clint Eastwood's like, here. Their music is here to me. To give you guys a justification, I'm holding my arms up. Very wise part. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's built around a Clint Eastwood film score. Now that makes sense. Yeah. And it's a great, like, it was everywhere for a reason. Like, Clint Eastwood sounds to me as fresh as it did in 2001. Oh, yeah. It barely dates at all. Like, it feels like it could have been released at approximately any point in the last 30 years. To me, Clint Eastwood is one of those things where it's like, you find a new steak joint, but they still serve the same thing. It's a steak, no matter what. It, yeah. it is steak in, steak out. You can go anywhere else for steaks. You try this new place out, and you're like, yeah, this is a steak. Okay. This is the song. Oh, yeah? Clint Eastwood is that song. You could drop Clint Eastwood in any time period between 2001 and now. Yeah. And you're just like, you know what? This feels familiar, yet fresh at the same time. Yeah, which is great for a band made up of cartoons, because I... the human members of this band age over time, but the actual face of the band is functionally immortal. Like, right. they also exist outside of time and space. And this is also, uh, Clint Eastwood is also almost certainly the reason gorillas are still releasing music because the good the bad and the queen record while excellent did not catch on like this one did like it oh, didn't yeah. have that radio pop friendly i no wonder i didn't hear, i haven't heard this one yeah that's so like, no, that's a new name to me so, so no second good the bad and the queen record came out just ouch damon moved on to do a different thing that's fine he only has so many hours in the day he writes operas he makes cartoon hip-hop he gets blur back together every five years or so to play some dates the man is booked <laughs> Well, if, it's, if there's any particular... You see, the one thing is, for me, if I was to listen to that gentleman, it would be because of either Gorillaz or the one song from Blur. Yeah, and that's very much a function of age. I hit high school right when Blur were hitting their stride in the middle of 90s and got right on board immediately and then rode those guys out to the end. And then it's just like, for you, so, so you're here, and then you follow Blur. And then, sort of on the similar time frame, I managed to catch on Gorillaz yeah. about the same time because I started in 2008. And I was done by 2012. A lot of music appreciation, I think, is contextual. There was a video, actually, I just like remembered this right now. There was a video from a one of the guys from Loading Ready Run, that's like the Victoria comic sketch troupe. She went down to Seattle to watch them. I don't know if they're gonna ever make a Canadian stuff. I would like for them to. They'd be nice. They have an album out right now if they tour it. Edmonton wouldn't be too bad. I would road trip to Edmonton to see these guys. Plus, I've never seen Damon play with any of his bands. Which sucks! He doesn't export to Canada nearly as well as I would like. Really? I guess. He's never toured, or has not toured while I was in the same city as him as the concert. My thing with concerts was that for the years that I was spending working at uh, Jubilations, I was in a different town every three months. So, I don't know who toured. A lot of the time, they would hit a city right after or before I got there. And then I'd find out, what do you mean Prince just played in Winnipeg? 
<laughs> oh, that stings. Yeah. Yeah, like right before I arrived, in order to be useless information to me, because I don't have a concert alert set up in Winnipeg, because I'm not there most of the time. Yeah, well, I, I do apologize for telling you this ahead of time, because the concert was like, what, a year ago now? Well, I mean, that's how that goes. But yeah, no, Clint Eastwood is the one that uh, launched them. There were a number of other like radio-friendly songs. There was a couple of tracks I think I've recognized before, too. I probably haven't heard the name before. You probably recognize Rock the House. Probably. Oh, yeah. I've had that stuck in my head since I listened to this for this show. <laughs> Just like playing on a loop in the background as I went about my business. Oh, man. It's actually better than I thought that it would be. Having one riff stuck in my head forever. Well, if you were ever to get one riff stuck in your head forever, at least make it a good one, right? That's a fact. So it's unusual. I was surprised to hear that you found this like more of a rainy day chill-out type mix. Like, that's an yeah. interesting emotional reaction to have to this. Well, I didn't see it as like a dance mix, right? Like, it, it, when you said it was like a, it was a mix, you can easily use it as a chill-out mix or a dance mix. I was trying to figure out how can you dance to this. It took me a second. Like, I, like there's, it, there's, I could see it. It's far enough away from the what I'm usually used to as dance music. Yeah, your taste in dance music is a lot higher energy than mine. Right? <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, yeah, this does function at both. Like, there is no mood for me that this does not. I feel like it's a swing type. You could just be, like, like doing that. You just, like, swing over to, like, side to side, and you could be like, yeah. Yeah, there needs to be a lot of groove to it. Definitely got a interesting, almost throwbacky 70s bass parts. Like, Double Bass is the coolest soundtrack to the right. coolest detective movie that was never made. I feel like that was in a video game or something. I would like for it to have been. It sounds like it should, it's either it did, or it should have been, but didn't. Or it was, but we never picked up on it. I feel like the third one's the case, though. That could be. I know video games license a ton of music. Like It wouldn't that's... surprise me at all. That's how bands make the majority of their income now, isn't it? Isn't it just licensing money now? Licensing money and touring? I guess. I don't know. I've done 35 cents from Spotify now and again. Well, Spotify probably pays them pretty decently, considering the fact the amount of times it got streamed, right? Think about it. The amount of viewers, the amount of ears going through that and listening to every single song. 35 cents going to that? Couple hundred thousand. If I was to ever throw a track on there there, and it, got, it blew up, and all of a sudden, it's just like, hey, here's $350,000. Yeah. I'm not going to decline. No, absolutely. Put that money in your pocket. I will totally make a second track. See if that tries out again. See if I can repeat the process. And hey, maybe I don't get as much, as much money, but hey, somebody's going to listen to it. I was going to kickstart the worst summer jam. Oh, no. I was brainstorming with a couple of people. Like, what is the worst summer jam that we could put up? We decided it would be built around the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> the chorus. Oh, my God. Would pick the tune from that. And then it would be produced by DJ Khaled. He'd be providing the beats. Just the first thing I thought off the top of my head when you said that was the remixed version of Lana Del Rey's Summertime Sadness. That track, yeah. Does that not work? I'm not a big Lana Del Rey person. See, it's, it's not a bad one. Overall, the song is not bad. It's a 7 out of 10. It's a solid one. But, like, the fact that it got aired during the time that it got played, I mean, they played the freaking daylights out of this thing. Oof. Then again, you're expecting Cowboys, Cowboys Casino, Zenny Grills to a certain extent, because I used to work there. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, though. Oh. 
I used to work there. I mean, if you used to work there, what the fuck are they going to do? Fire you? <laughs> Sue me, maybe? I don't know. I doubt that very much. You can prove that you used to work there. Yeah. You have yet to say anything about them. Like, I've been to Center Bar. I can't say that I worked there. But Center Bar is a powder Cowboys casino, but, like, whatever. Um, I've heard it at Flame Central, which is now the Palace. I've heard it at... God, I've heard it at Santee a couple of times. That was really weird. For a thing that was supposed to be all about cowboys and stuff, having Summertime Sadness blast that one year was such a huge disconnect. Uh, having pop radio on while you're at work is uh, intolerable. We had a game when this was a song at my work where we would come in on a Sunday. Everybody works double shifts on Sunday. So the shifts would be like eight, nine, ten hours long, somewhere in there. And I would come in and I would uh, circulate, okay, the over-under on the song Whistle by Florida oh, God. is eight. So, do you want the over or the under? And then if it's exactly eight, I win. And then everybody I want to say pick, it's over. And then everybody would pick if we were going to be forced to listen to Whistle by Florida uh, <laughs> more or less times over the course of our work day. Did somebody bet with you on the eight? Then eight? Yeah, no, I'd pick a different, I'd pick a different number every Sunday, and then we'd keep track over the course of the night. Fair I enough. think the best that we hit was 14 plays of Whistle by Flo Rida. Jesus, that yeah. is too many. Yeah, it was on a holiday, so we were there late. Like, that would be for an 11-hour shift rather than nine. Ouch. 14 times over an 11-hour period, that still hurts. Certain songs are everywhere. And I get that that's supposed to be everywhere, per se, but, like, that feels like a lot. It felt like a lot while it was happening as well. Ugh. And unlike the summer when Clint Eastwood was everywhere, I don't care for Whistle. <laughs> yeah, that makes it worse. So it wasn't See, even like, doing if, if somebody was, if it was If it was up to me and I was like, oh, okay, there was a song that we need to play like every three hours or something, which three hours is kind of a relatively decent long time anyway, I would definitely 100% pick Clint Eastwood. It's such a change of pace that everybody would pay attention to it. But it's so normal that a lot of people would recognize it instantly and be like, this is Clint Eastwood. I could dig it. This is what that year sounded like. I liked that year. That year was good. Yeah. As much as that year kind of... like I don't even say... Okay, it didn't really suck until, until about September. And then Give or take. Give or take. About there. It fell apart in the tail end, for sure. Yeah. That year wasn't too bad. It was a decent year. So, to have stuff that came out during that year... Be like... Musically, it was a great year. Oh, musically, it was an amazing year. A lot of people made a lot of good art that year. A lot of those arts I want to find. Right? The um, rapper on that record was Del the Funky Homo Sapien, if you're familiar with that gentleman. Not a clue. No, he put out a ton of apparently incredibly well-regarded rap records in the 90s. Uh, he did both Clint Eastwood and Rock the House, and I don't know why he's not more famous than he is. Yeah, that still goes over my head. I yeah, mean, he's I... a really charming performer. Like, he's a really charming performer on the two songs that he turns up on. Well, yeah, Clint Eastwood, he's like, well, I don't even remember what he was rapping about, but yeah. it was something, it was, he was really kicking into, like, 90s-style rap. Yeah, uh, these guys do a great job with their co-creators in general. They draw from everywhere. Like, they've done songs with Lou Reed, they've done songs with Sean Ryder from Happy Mondays. What was the guy that did the uh, one record. song called, um, It's Dare? Or D A R E. Oh, I'm not sure who did that one. Because if you look at the uh, if you look at the music video for that one, it's he's like, it's just a head. Yeah, it's like a like a robotic head thing. Yes. Who's that guy? I am not a hundred percent. It's been driving me nuts ever since I've saw it. I know that the big name co-creators on this record were Dan the Automator, Kid Koala, and Dell. 
but I'm not sure who did what on which record. Damon writes the choruses and puts together some of the music, and then he brings in your Snoop Dogs or your Lou Reeds or whoever he wants to work with. That would be an interesting mix. Like, oh, that Gorillaz... happens. That happens on a later Gorillaz record. What? Yeah. Wait, Snoop and Gorilla. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, spoilers for me, but like, How's... I need to find that now and like listen to that. How does that surprise you? Damon picks co-creators that he wants to work with, and Snoop Dogg likes to work. He like... doesn't turn down work. Oh, yeah, no, dude, that dude hustles like a maniac. Yeah. That he, makes total sense now. And for no reason other than the fact that he likes to. He can't possibly need money by this stage in his life. No. He just, like a he's... project comes up and it sounds like fun, so he's going to go and do a reality show with Martha Stewart about the fact that they're friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, that totally happened. That's a real thing that happened in the world. Still baffles me when I try to push it out of my head 95% of the time, but hey... Which is just the right attitude for this um, kind of music. Like, this record's eclectic as fuck. Like, it's hip-hop, it's alternative rock, it's pop music, it's psychedelic. No wonder it felt like it's like everything is a normal. Yeah, it moves, it moves in every direction at once. And then fits kind of everywhere. That makes a lot of sense. 95% of the songs, I felt like, either I heard it before, I haven't heard it before, but it feels so normal that I've done it. I probably heard it. Or, I have heard it before, I'm hearing it again, yet it's one of those things that's been so long since I've heard it, that it's like, it feels like it's new again. This album, even though I've heard it only like three times in a row, and one time while I'm doing something, because, you know, cosplay's a thing, and spending four three hours to come wig out is a pain in the arse, but hey, not a bad way to burn it through an album. Small price to pay for the right wig for the right cosplay. Right. So who are you uh, cosplaying as? Akira Hayama from Shogogeki no Soma. Nice. Bet you don't have a clue. Not even a little. But I'm a fan of good cosplay. Anime cosplayers are my favorite thing at Calgary Expo when that happens. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll walk past two people in incredibly elaborate anime cosplay. Were you there? And I will go, nice. I have no idea what you're doing, but... You're obviously crushing it. Like, it just did looks you, amazing without lending me any understanding of the reference at all. Did you uh, manage to see the uh, the parade? No, I missed the parade. I had oh, to. Oh, damn it, because I was in it. Ah! Oh! No, 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 I got this, I got this. I did a photo shoot with a friend of mine. I'll send it to you when I, when I get the chance. Okay, good. I'll link it in the show notes. You're going to like it. I'll, I'll send through text. It'll be, it'll be sweet. Nice. But, yeah, that's so bunk. I was so... I thought, I thought I would see you, but you must have been at work at that time. No, I'd worked late the night before. Oh, fair. Yeah, no, we, were st we started at like 10, and we were, done by, we were done by like 1, so. Yeah, I was still at work by 11. Oh, oh ouch. home, ate dinner, and in bed by about 2. Uh, oh, woke up God. in time for the parade, and then rolled right the fuck over, and slept for another 2 hours. Oh. Yeah, but then I wouldn't have enjoyed actual Calgary Expo True. in the evening. And that's usually when the best time, that all the good stuff starts coming out. Yeah, the Thursday night, when everybody in Expo is still, like, fresh. Oh, yeah. And enjoying being there. Versus the Sunday, where everybody's kind of, like... Just completely burned out, yeah. That's going to be me on the Sunday. That's true. But, like, in a fun, chill way. I think Sundays are... Sundays is the kind of thing you go out, grab some ice cream, come back to the hall, and be like, yeah, I'm just chilling here. Checking some places out. Maybe go hit another event something, or play video games till my eyes burn. Or go back to the, uh, I don't know if this happens at anime cons, but I do know that it happens at Expo. Go back to all of the artist booths where you thought about buying stuff and then didn't. 
Oh yeah, no, usually the stuff's on sale by then. Yep. Plus you know exactly how much of your budget you've already blown. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For me it's probably all of it. Yeah, I mean, but if it's not. See, I... the thing is, it's like, don't get me wrong, I would love, if it was Odafest, and I had like a couple hundred dollars to blow on stuff, and I'm just sitting here and I'm like, what, what is this money doing in my pocket? Get out of my pocket, please. I would totally go through the vendor artist alley and pick up as many like $5 things as humanly possible and try to carry that home. Well, that's why our fridge is literally entirely covered in fridge magnets. True. Fridge magnets are a good way to tell an artist that you like, hey, I like you and I want to fund the creation of new art by you, but also I'm broke as fuck. I'll have to try that in that Amazon. It's not bad. Like, your fridge is covered in magnets, it's a fun conversation piece about interesting artists that you've met, you spent like four bucks rather than 30. True. But like, to be fair, it's, if a magic artist came into, came into town and was like selling stuff and it was obviously 30 or $30 or more, would you totally go for it? For a magic artist? Yeah, absolutely. Those originals sell for how many thousands of dollars? Right. Original art from anything that is mass produced is heroically expensive. If we're tying it back to cons, hey, Calgary Expo. And Eodafest. Mostly Expo for this one. Make Jamie Hewlett come here, and then I can get him to autograph some Gorillaz vinyl. That's not a bad idea, actually. He's, I was gonna say, I he's was tangentially tied into nerd culture because he wrote Tank Girl. Oh yeah. By the way, the artist who did Gorillaz is the dude from Tank Girl. I am so mind blown right now. You don't even know. Yeah, that was his previous gig. What? Yeah. But like, go back and then read Tank Girl again. Oh my god. While looking at the cover of any Gorillaz album, it'll take you about a page to go, oh yeah, that's obviously the same person. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely. I'm, I was going to say, because they're like, to, not to tie it into magic again, but like, I was going to say if you bring in a couple of magic artists, like Kyrie Expo, that would be fantastic. And I will totally ship out the four, three hundred, $300 or something. To that'd be fun too, but... Magic artists already have a gig when they want to appear at a convention. Right, it's called GPs. Yeah, they show up at a GP and then they put up a booth of art there. Whereas Jamie from Gorillaz, I feel like would be a very gettable figure for Calgary Expo. Calgary Expo, make this happen for me. Us. Yes. I'm pretty sure if you could get a Gorillaz fan base, people would be like, please sign this. Yeah. We want this guy here. Yeah, the Gorillaz fan base. And also, I don't even care, man. I'll cape for that Tank Girl movie. That movie was good. And it worked, and I enjoyed watching it. It is one of my favorite mid-90s, what is happening, comic book adaptations. There was so much going on, and it made so little sense, and I love it. <laughs> that being said, come on, Tank Girl. The title says alone. You get what, you, what it says on the tin. Have you seen that flick or read that comic? I've seen bits of the flick, and I've read little pieces of the comic, but I've never done the full value of both. I would heartily recommend you find a copy of the Tank Girl movie and give it a watch through. It is crazy bananas. Cool. It's on my list. And Ice-T plays the kangaroo. <coughs> what? The kangaroo is very gangster. Also, he's a revolutionary leader. And that's the kind of reaction you get when you say the plot of Tank Girl out loud. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to get over the fact that Ice-T plays a kangaroo in it. A very gangster and revolutionary kangaroo, thank you very much. Yeah. That kangaroo was lovable. No, 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 don't, don't get me wrong, totally lovable and everything. I'm just trying to get over the fact that Ice-T plays a kangaroo. Would it help you to know that his revolutionary army are also kangaroos? <laughs> That's cute. 
They were created as weapons of death. Oh, man. Once in the movie, they provide comic relief. They can jump kick their way to victory. And they do. Oh, man. Everyone needs to watch this movie. Okay. I don't care that you just swallowed the movie for me. I want to watch it now. Yes. Everyone should watch it. The movie was perfect. It is society that was wrong. I blame you, society. Ice Tea plays a kangaroo. (laughs) It is killing me inside now that I have not seen them. It's great. Straight through. It's great. It is like... It's hilariously funny, because, like, not to tie this into another movie-style anime kind of thing, I just watched Red Line start to finish, only to realize I didn't care about most of the movie, and I only wanted to see the final race. Oof. How was the final race? Amazeballs. Worth it? Totally. Then who cares? (laughs) Right? (laughs) The love sequence, and, like, right at the end is kind of, like, cool, mute point, whatever, but the fact that the fact of the matter is that the story's pretty much written itself out by that point. People don't give movies enough credit for being a ton of crazy bullshit mm-hmm. that will make you go, what do you mean? And those can be the best movies. Speaking of which, I gotta sit down and watch Jupiter Ascending. Oh yeah, that was a thing. Bees sense royalty. The flying dog man on rocket rollerblades. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? Wait. It's that kind of movie? Yes. Okay, that's ad- that's officially added on the high-priority list of movies I should be watching right about now. All Wachowski movies are that kind of movie. Oh, is this, pre- is this pre-Sex Change Wachowski or post? Uh, I don't know. I think one of them might have. I don't keep track. I've lost track at this point. Yeah. Uh, it was immediately previous to Sense8. What was that? That was their amazing Netflix series that was, in addition to being overstuffed with ideas, also Ooh. totally worked. Because they had like 10 hours rather than two to fully explore all of the things that they were cramming in. Like the problem with their movies is that they want to do too much stuff to fit into a two hour movie. Do you know what I think? And that's why I was so pleased when they got 10 episodes in which to do the amount of stuff and then so angry when it got canceled. Ah, it's your fault. You didn't watch it. I don't have Netflix. How do you not have Netflix in 2018? I don't know. YouTube seems to be sufficient for me nowadays. Fair enough. But, like, apologies? I just don't have that kind of money kicking around. What are you talking about? Just borrow somebody's Netflix code. I do not endorse borrowing somebody's Netflix code, Netflix lawyers. Just borrow somebody's Netflix code. (laughs) I love how you flip from one side to the other and then flip the other side again. Everyone does it. I don't do it, Netflix lawyers. Everyone does it. I don't have Netflix, so I can't vouch. The soundtrack to a life does not endorse stealing somebody's Netflix code and then using their Netflix. But seriously. <laughs> just steal somebody's Netflix code and use their Netflix. If I ever need to see that, I'll probably just borrow it off a friend of mine. Watch some BoJack Horseman. That, that being said, I'm not going to borrow it. That being said, totally going to borrow it. I think we're covered. Okay. And yeah, get a copy of Tank Girl. It's a delight. And then he went off, and his next project was a band. He did a comic book, and then a movie, and then a band. I think he's hit the pinnacle of his career. It's just like, uh, what am I going to do with my lifetime? Oh, I'll make a comic book, and then a movie, and then just start a band on the side of things. Oh, what's my next project? I don't know. Yeah, like, in much the same way that uh, Damon spent 10 or 15 years making very, very aggressively British indie rock. Like, how aggressive? And then like, like, in, like, how in your face are we talking about? Blur's been compared to the Kinks on a number of occasions. Wow, really? Um, I'll, I'll play you Park Life at some point, and you will go, that's aggressively Cause like, British. Because when I was thinking, when, the first thing I think of when you say Blur. That song one, two. Who song. Yeah, absolutely. Song absolutely. That was their only one that got on the radio here. Because there's not much lyrics to it. 
I think that's the only reason why I got on the radio because the lyrics on that song and it sounds feel good like on. not even a pick. And it sounds good on a hockey game. Right? Oh my god. But yeah, that's from album five that they did. Five out of how many albums? Uh, Blur did seven the first time around and then did a reunion album a couple years ago. So eight. That's not bad. Five out of eight, basically. Yeah, they do work. And they're universally beloved in their country of origin because, like I said, their music's aggressively British. Technically, I'm not aggressively Brit, then. No? Well, we do technically... Well, Canada, sorry. Two to two together, it's like... Trying to put... Like, it's trying to remember, it's like... Sovereign country, and our technically our queen is on the other side of the map, basically. Yeah, but we have a queen. True. And it's the same queen. And it's a borrowed queen. It's the best way to have a queen. A queen online. Somebody else pays for the care and maintenance of the queen... And she just comes here as like, as like, oh, this is my vacation place. Yeah, every couple of years, the queen swings by, and the whole country goes, let's go have a monarch. And then we go and have a monarch, and it's nice. And then she goes home, and somebody else is in charge of maintaining her enormous houses. And then when she comes to Banff, she it's, just like stays at the hotel anyway. So Yeah, it's all upside. Nice. Yeah. That just isn't not too bad either. Well, she better be. They've got to ramp up interest in the royal family. No, they stepped the up. They stepped the up. The queen's like not going to last forever. They need somebody else to step in and do that job because Charles well, they, was not going to get there. No. To be fair, they picked a Middleton. You can't go <laughs> You see what I did there with that? I did. <laughs> so do you got anything else in uh, in your notes about this? There was a couple things that I wanted in my notes, but we were just going over it like through bread and butter, honestly. Most of the stuff, it was just like small things that I picked out like for five... Is it 5-4? Was it 5-4? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. 5-4. Yeah, fair. I took a few passes on 5-4, honestly. It took me like seven or eight passes to get get it. Because okay. I was like, first couple of times I was just like, what is happening? And then I had to listen to it again, and I was still on the same question. What is happening? I don't think I've got it. I feel like I still need to probably listen to it a couple more times to really get it. Yeah, there's a lot being built here. It was one of those things where the song is just building up, building up, building up, building up, building up, and it just stops. Once you hit that point, you're like, is there more to this? You're oh, you're starting the next song. Okay. T hold on. No. Next song. Take five minutes. Sit over there, please. <laughs> I need to know what's happening here. Oh, you needed it longer? Like, yeah. Like, you needed it, it to resolve Yeah, I, I feel like it didn't get a re resolution that it wanted. Again, don't know if it's intentional. It's the gorillas, after all. Yeah. Listen to it again after you leave and think mm -hmm. about that. Clint Eastwood, we already talked about. Uh, tomorrow Comes Today. Yeah. Holy crap. That harmonica in that piece, straight up 100% goodness. It's one of those things, and according to my notes, Song Cal Felonica was sang in the rain. Like, this is going to be weird, and I'm making a reference to the Backstreet Boys here, but you, you, know, you know that part where they're singing literally in, the, in a rainstorm? Yes. But it was like sunny enough where it's like raining still? Yeah. Every boy band has one video set in the rain. Yeah. That, that moment. The, the 90s wanted their heartthrobs to be soaking wet. Oh, just Leo drenched. Leo DiCaprio found an excuse to be soaking wet in, like, his first five years worth of movies. And I don't understand why. Have we stopped doing it since? I freaking hope so. It's getting kind of old. Is Zane soaking wet in any of his post-One Direction videos? Get back to me on that one. I'm not actually sure. Fair. The one thing is... None of the bands that I keep track of 
do a song where they're in the rain. No, it's very much for bands that are targeting themselves at 15, 16-year-old girls. Also, K-pop, and basically all the K-pop artists that I know off the top of my head, none of them do it in the rain. So, that's out. Anything that's targeted 15, 16-year-olds... Yeah, it's, it's boy band and heartthrob territory to do a video in the soaking rain. I feel like Beaver's done it once. I'm sure. Wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if One Direction did it. Probably did. I, yeah, for some kind of ballad. Taylor Swift was inside, but there was a rainstorm, so does that count? Mm, staring at the window with a cup of coffee. No, but Which she, was, again, she, she was with very the, relatable. We've she was had. doing she was doing the thing with her guitar as, as, as normal. Oh yeah, from back when she was a guitar holding artist, right? I keep forgetting that Versus... Taylor Swift writes the songs that she performs and then plays on them. Like she's not in a genre. She does the thing where she writes those songs about her boyfriends. Yeah, yeah, but like she writes those songs. I feel like she does, like, most she's of in a She's in a genre where she doesn't have to. Like, like, nobody's forcing her to write. Like, if you're in a punk band, you have to write all of your songs. But your songs carry a ton of emotion. Yeah. But if you're Taylor Swift, whose songs arguably carry a fair bit of emotion. Surprisingly. In some cases. She could just have songs provided to her if she wanted. Yeah. But she's sitting down to write them. I feel like that deserves some amount of credit, but I'm still unlikely to no, listen to totally. Taylor Swift. No, totally. I will totally give credit no. to where credit is due. Even though I'm still unlikely to listen to Taylor Swift unless somebody forces me to for this. You and me both, brother. Which I guess brings us to the end of the show. This has been the soundtrack to a life. The podcast in which we start out talking about the record that we're supposed to be talking about and then wind up bashing Taylor Swift for no reason. She doesn't deserve it. She's never we... done anything to wrong me. I don't think we've actually bashed her, though. No, that's true. I'm going to end the show with three questions because I do. Jojo, you gonna listen to Gorilla's debut again? I don't think I really have a choice. I still need to figure out what is going on here. Nice. Are you gonna explore uh, any of their catalog further? A hundred percent, yes. I have a three-hour trip to Edmonton, and I'm pretty damn sure we're gonna need some sort of music. I'm gonna let you know that their uh, release schedule is big release, small release. So it's like the one that you're meant to always listen to forever, followed by like a smaller supplemental piece. Right. Oh, that's cool. Um, so for your first pass through of their catalog, you might want to skip every other album. Uh, or just settle honestly, down and listen to them all. all honestly, them I wouldn't mind like just going through it all, just cause, because three hours is going to be, like, from here to Cal- here to Edmonton, it's like three hours, right? Yeah, they have yet to release anything that's bad. And finally, if you were to have to choose one track from this album to close out the show on, what would you pick? Clint Eastwood. We're closing on Clint Eastwood. Nice it's, to... It's a classic for a reason. <laughs> this has been Soundtrack to a Life. Follow us along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast, SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, share us, rate us, review us. Five stars. Five stars, baby. We're going to be back in two weeks with another record. This one JoJo picked and I'm listening to for the first time. You're going to love it. That is the format that we do here. Have a great week. (laughs) 